Canucks Central Friday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah here in the Kintec studio. Canucks Central is for Enzyme Pacific, Vancouver's premier Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep Superstore on 2nd Avenue between Camby and Maine or at EnzymePacificChrysler.ca. A lot to come on the program later on. Yannick Hansen will join us via the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline. The first call, the only call. We'll also get to your questions in the mailbag. If you haven't gotten your questions in just yet, we'll get them in quickly because we got some questions that we'd like to answer. Uh, all right. Tough night last night, hey, Sat? Uh, uh, very tough. I mean, <laughs> it's one of those things where I- I'm fine with losing because you're going to lose some hockey games, but it's how you lose. And yeah. Last night was, was a pretty ugly one, to be honest. Um, it's, it's, uh, the opposite of <laughs> what, uh, Vin Diesel said in the first fast and furious. It doesn't matter if you win by an inch or a mile winning's winning, but it's different for losing how you lose matters to you, Sat. I, I think it, I, I think it does. Yeah. I think if you, the way they lost against Winnipeg, Colorado, and even Minnesota, despite giving up 10 goals was significantly different than how they lost against Seattle. And I think uh, the response from the head coach post game yeah. told you everything you needed to know about why he was upset with how they lost. I got some thoughts on that, but let's, let's shelf it for a minute. Okay. And we'll get to it in, in a few because Yesterday, after we talked with Earth, and you can go back and listen to the Canucks Central podcast feed and, and check that out, but there was a lot of discussion about Elias Pettersson and the report from the fourth period that the Canucks have had a $96 million contract tabled to Pettersson's camp since the start of the season. As we discussed it yesterday, um, you know, is there a, an official offer on the table or not? Maybe that is up for debate, but I'm sure Pedersen's camp knows uh, because uh, the front office of the Vancouver Canucks has made everybody know that they're ready to sign Elias Pedersen and hammer out a negotiation when he is ready to do so. But today we heard from Elliot Friedman on the matter. We heard from Rick Dollywall and, you know, things just continue to snowball around Elias Pedersen here, Sat. Yeah, and, you know, Elliot uh, mentioned that he can't confirm um, what – um, you know, Pags had in his yep. report, but mentioned that uh, even if maybe it's semantics. That's exactly what we mentioned yesterday, that I don't know if there's actually been a formal written offer presented to Patterson and his camp, but I do believe it's been intimated to them in many ways without maybe something formal on paper that they're willing to go to a certain range on a long-term deal, perhaps a certain range on a shorter-term deal. And the overarching point, which, again, the president of the club told us a few weeks back was we want Pedersen. We know what it costs to sign players like that. And we're very willing to go anywhere he wants to go. Does he want short term? Does he want long term? Whatever term he's comfortable with, we're comfortable with. That is exactly what uh, Jim Rutherford said. Yes. So I don't think you need the reports to know. The Canucks are willing to make Pedersen one of the highest paid players in the league, whether that's a short term deal or a long term deal. Um, it's, it is interesting how this is continuing to play out because look, it it is the biggest, uh, storyline around this team, even though they are first place in the league right now and have been really good all season long, maybe, uh, against everybody's expectations. Sure. They're going through their toughest stretch of the season so far, having lost four in a row for the first time this year, but 
this is still the biggest story because your star player, uh, as we talked about yesterday, a top 10 center, they don't become available in the league all that often. And that is sort of created this cloud over the team where we're, we're almost talking about Elias Pettersson more than we're talking about this team is in first place and how are they getting ready for the playoffs. And I, I think that's part of the storyline that fans really don't love about this is, you know, you're you're looking at this player, you're you're trying to enjoy this season, but also wondering like, is it going to last beyond this year? If because one of our top players might be heading on the way out, or we're wondering if he actually wants to be here. It's like the the lack of a contract and the amount of speculation around this is, has created a lot of extra questions that maybe are warranted or not. Sad, I don't know, but it's created a lot of different storylines that. Um, maybe weren't expected with a player just not having a new contract. Yeah, and now the one thing I would say, though, too, is it's a discussion point, obviously, with us. We're having it in the media. The fans are having it, um, whether it's in private, whether it's in group chats or on social media, as you say. But I don't believe it's something that's being, you know, that's an issue for the team itself. Now, I know they've lost four games in a row, but uh, I don't think it has anything to do with uh, Pedersen's un. Uh, you know, status not being figured out. And the thing, too, is because he's an RFA, it, it, there's not the same pressure point. So I don't think this is an issue at all, which is having any consternation in the dressing room and the players. I don't think that is it at all. But I do think when it comes to fans, and I mentioned this, I gave you this analogy a few weeks back, it really feels like with the level of angst people have about this, that it's like you're in a relationship that you're insecure about. And you're just constantly waiting for that person to leave. And you're finding reasons to be like, is this person leaving because of this? Oh, I don't like him anyways. Maybe we shouldn't be together anyways, right? Like yeah. maybe, just maybe, they're not right for me. And see, look at all their flaws. Forget them anyways. Yeah, so I feel like there's some of that going on too, which I think just kind of exasperates it. But it's really just yelling into a vacuum because we don't have any, any, any information new that should make you feel one way or another. Like there, there is no new information. We haven't had any new information in months. Um, we've had speculation for sure, uh, but yeah, even Dave Pinota, friend of the show, right? Uh, there isn't uh, too many insiders going around backing up his report of Patterson having uh, a twelve million dollar a year, believed to be in the range of eight years, uh, on the table all season long. So, you know, that raises more questions. Uh, what we do know is Patterson himself saying he wanted to wait till the end of the season. He reiterated that a couple of weeks ago when he was asked about it. And his stance doesn't seem to have changed all that much on the matter. But, I, you know, I know we've talked about this, but I do wonder if it is part of what we're seeing with him on the ice, where his game just, and last night included, I see all the texts, you know, he's fallen down and you can't win in the playoffs with a guy like this. I mean, I, I disagree with a lot of those, but I do agree that, his game feels like it isn't where it needs to be. He's been great at times. He's been so-so at times. I feel like the Canucks have gotten a more consistent level from JT Miller this season than they have from Pedersen. And that might be picking at straws, really, between the two. But I expect Pedersen to be better than JT Miller. And I, I can't sit here and say that he has been. Like, with certainty that he's been a lot better than JT Miller has this season and given their two talent levels given what I expect and maybe it is lofty expectations of Elias Pettersson but I expect him to be a better a more impactful player in all areas of the ice 
than JT Miller. So, yeah, we're 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 at the point where Pedersen's being judged on a contract that he hasn't signed yet, and the guy making eight million per year is playing as good, if not better, than Pedersen has. So, I, that to me is is what's adding to a lot of this discussion now is. Wait, we're we're supposed to pay this guy twelve million a year when our eight million dollar player has been just as good, or if not better than than Elias Pettersson has. Uh, part of me wonders if that's some of what's happening here with the discussion around Elias Pettersson and how he's played of late for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, and ultimately, my fallback to all the concerns, and it's fair. Like You can ask more. I think any player you can always ask more from, and you can critique players, and, and nobody's above a critique and, and conversations about it. And there's a difference between be like, okay, he could be a lot better, and oh, he's not playing well enough to get rid of this guy. He's not good enough anyways, and he's not worth the money, and this is ridiculous. And that's kind of the leap where I'm not at. We have a conversation about somebody not being at the level they need to be. And the other part about it is, like, he's, what, 24, 25-year-old player? Mm -hmm. And the funniest thing to me is, like, we, we went through something similar with JT Miller last year. What was the conversation around JT when he was struggling last year, the first half of the season? They made a mistake giving him a contract. Should have kept Bo Horvat over him. What are they doing? What an embarrassing if you could organization! Trade him before his no move clause kicks in. You absolutely have to do it. Get rid of him, no matter what. No matter what you can get, just get rid of the contract. It's a mistake. Get get out of it if you can. And a lot of people are not feeling the same way this year, right? So it's yeah. like the, I think. That's a lesson. Remember what you, how you felt, a lot of you, about JT? And some may feel the same way, but a lot of people have changed their tune on them. And for those that are saying to us that, why are you protecting Pedersen? It's like, well, it's not about protecting Pedersen. I made a lot of the same arguments for JT last year. People didn't want to hear it. You know, and it's like, you know, yeah. and people that were that were anti-JT are pro-Pedersen now. People that were, that were pro-JT or anti-Pedersen. It's like, do you guys know you're all Spider-Man meme right now? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Pointing at each other. And I understand with, with JT it's different because he's older the contract could age differently because he's going to be 37 when it expires so there are factors that make that a bigger risk long term mm -hmm. but the aav is obviously going to be bigger for elias patterson but we went through something similar and now the conversation is very different and the fact that whatever you're seeing from patterson today is going to be different in a few years and he's most likely going to be a bigger better more impactful player then yeah. So if you're punting on the player today because you don't like how he's playing right now, you're sacrificing the upside and the upshot in the future, and it's going to hit more likely than not. We're we're, we're on the same page with a lot of this discussion on 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 Elias Pettersson, um, but the the lack of a contract um, I, I, it it does make you wonder about how he's playing right now. Like there seems to be a a little bit of a lack of engagement from him. It feels like he's coughing up pucks more often than he's coming away with them, which is something I think generally he does really well when his game is going good. His defensive game hasn't been as sharp as where I would expect it to be. And, you know, now, you know, you're staring down the barrel of this guy signing a, a massive contract and it, it brings in a, a whole other section of questions about him as a player, like I, I wonder if the contract was already signed and he was making $12 million a year or the contract of $12 million a year would kick in next year. Would we be having the same sorts of discussions around his play right now? Or would it be different? Like that's, that's sort of the question I was asking myself uh, over, over the last little bit sat, because you know, I wonder if that little, little change in context would, 
would would make the conversation would make the arguments different at all i'm not sure i think if he had gotten paid the conversation would be they paid him too much yeah you know i, I think I, th- I think there are a lot of people that were not fans or his game they got to a point where we don't love where his game's at and the thing people keep referring to you see the text messages right now you can never win a cup with a player like Pedersen and I love Pedersen like what are you basing that on outside of just an opinion you're, you're pulling out of you know where and it's yeah. fine we can all have opinions and you yeah, can... people used to say that you couldn't win a Stanley Cup with with Alex Ovechkin on your team yeah and, and you know people will say that stuff but it's like what are you basing that on? This this sense that he's too soft for the playoffs based on the fact that he's fallen over a lot of times this year? Okay, fine. That's what you think. And you thought, think the playoffs he did show up in in the bubble aren't real playoffs because you didn't have fans in the building. You weren't traveling. You are playing in one destination. Okay, fine. But you don't know until he gets to the postseason anyway. So I think a lot of this is going to come down to what is he going to play like in the postseason against the top teams. And if he has success then then I don't think anybody has a leg to stand on if they're looking at him and saying he has to go out. But I think we're at that stage now, Dan. I think no matter what he puts up point-wise, even if he gets 40 goals, gets 105 points, there's still going to be people saying, well, I don't think he's going to be good in the playoffs. So until we get to that stage right now, I think no one's going to be convinced, or not nobody, a lot of people are convinced and they're big fans of his game. But those who are not are not going to be convinced unless they see it for themselves in the postseason. Uh, this is from Ryan on the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Hey, fellas, you really feel Pedersen's ceiling is much higher? He is 24 now, not 21. That is prime age for today's NHL. Uh, well, I'm not sure that's true necessarily. You're basing it on productive primes, but I also look at how players are trending now. And I think in terms of production, sure, guys may produce more. But in terms of being all-around impact players, they could be far better when they get into their mid to late 20s. I mean, JT Mo is a perfect example locally. Yeah. And maybe that's the exception than the rule. But even the top guys around the National Hockey League, the top players get better as they age. They may be more productive at an earlier stage, but in terms of their overall impact, they most assuredly get better into their late 20s, early 30s even. Like, I think the prime for the high-end players is kind of in that, you know, late 20s range more than it is in the early 20s. Yeah. You know, even um... – like Sidney Crosby's been incredible the moment he spent stepped into the league, right? No, nobody is is here debating that. But uh, at least analytically, his uh, overall game saw a huge boost once he got into his later twenties, um, where sometimes his defensive game wasn't at least seen all that well by analytics. Now you could take for that what you will, but. Later on in his career, it seemed to round out, and he got that much better in his 200-foot game. And look at him even today at 36. He continues to just find ways uh, to get better and better and better. So, it, you know, it's it's different for every player, of course, but there are, like, certain things that you mature in as you get into your mid to late 20s that help you still have a prime that is – uh, very good and highly impactful, even if it's uh, not as productive as it might be points-wise through your ages 23 to 25 seasons. But we'll see with Elias Patterson. Regardless, uh, as Raymond says, 25-year-old centermen that have had back-to-back 100-point seasons are very difficult to come by, and that is uh, what Elias Patterson is. So, yes, all of the above is true. Your opinions are welcome, um, but... It's, it's hard to be trading away Elias Pettersson when he is as good and has been as good as he has been for the Vancouver Canucks to this stage in his career. You only trade him if he, if he doesn't want to stay. Yeah. You get into the, let, let's say you get into the offseason 
and it becomes very clear he doesn't want to sign. And again, like we mentioned yesterday, because he has not yet signed an extension, mm-hmm. and just because he's not willing to sit down and talk during the season, it's a real possibility. I don't know what percentage to put on it because we're just guessing. I'm not going to put a percentage on it. But it is a non-zero chance he may not want to be here. And if that's the case in the off season, then you make the trade. But if and only if you get to that stage. Yeah, that's uh, really the only way you think about it because until then – you're doing everything you can to make sure Pedersen signs a contract and remains a Vancouver Canuck for as long as it is possible. Um, so, okay, I, I wanted to to have this discussion as well from from last night. And I know you were on the post game show with Bick Canuck Central on the podcast feed. Uh, I'm sure it was a fire post game show coming off the loss to the Seattle Kraken. But Rick Tockett goes in on the team last night. They were bad. I'm not here to dispute that. Not only did they play tired, but they played poorly on top of that. They got away from their staples. And as Tockett said, their staples looked foreign to them. So I get it. Coach had every right to be frustrated. It just, it was surprising how he started his postgame and then went on to essentially rip the team for for five minutes. I mean, he started his postgame saying, sometimes I have a lot to say. I don't have a lot to say today. And then he went on to just absolutely <laughs> I love that so much. His like, I'm team. not going to say much. I'm going to, you know, I don't have a lot to say. And then he just kind of dives yeah. right into it. I loved it so much. I was cackling so hard. And it was one of those like, you know, I, I didn't have the guys ready. It's uh, it's on me. But we had a lot of no-shows tonight. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's been disturbing some of the efforts right now and on and on and on. I mean, uh, what I not not that I didn't like it because I always like when a coach is as honest as as Rick Tockett has been. Um, it's just they're still first in the league. They're the last team to lose three in a row, and they've just finished a stretch where they played ten games in seventeen nights. I think eight of them were on the road. They traveled over 15,000 kilometers during this stretch. And it's clearly a moment where they're absolutely gassed. And I just wonder if that was the moment to pull the, I'm upset with how this team is playing and I'm going to rip them to shreds card. That's, that's the only thing I wonder about. I love that. I, here, here's the thing. Like, I think this this team has done a really good job this year, Dan. Um, being focused. I mean, the record doesn't lie. I know they've lost four in a row, and and there there is a, a bit of skies falling going on in the market a bit. But I think you have to give the guys so much credit for how serious they've been, how hard they worked, and how far they've come. But is this a group that you feel comfortable enough on that you have to you can't keep your your finger on them? I think you kind of have to stay on top of these guys until they show you that they don't need that. They don't need the coach to go off on them anymore. And I'm not sure they're there yet. Like, I thought the level of performance they had against Seattle coming off three games where I thought they played well and lost, and we could talk special teams on discipline and everything, yeah, sure. Yeah. But overall, with how hard they worked, how they battled, how well they played five-on-five, five, like, that was a team thoroughly engaged, fully engaged. Well, that's the other part of this for me. Like, they, they, they had one bad period in Minnesota. They had a couple of bad minutes against Winnipeg. Like, outside of, like, certain moments in games – They've only had one bad game during this four-game losing streak, and the first bad game they have, coach just goes in on them. That, 
I well, it's not the first. It's not, it's not the first bad game. Like they've had some bad games before, and he's kind of just hasn't said much about it. They've won games where they haven't played well, right? Yeah, the, the last thought, Boston game was poor. Yeah, for sure, poor, for instance. And he didn't really go in on them hard, but he mentioned how it wasn't good enough or whatever it is. But I thought, I thought the the the, the performance in Seattle was unacceptable, Dan. Like, so if you don't fulfill the tenets that you're supposed to live by live and die by this is who we are like we're living by our staple these are the things we're doing they're non-negotiables and come hell or high water we're down 10 nothing we're up 10 nothing this is how we play they didn't show it at all yeah. and i don't think you can let that slide and and yeah i mean to your point could he have taken a slightly softer touch sure but these guys should be tough enough to be able to handle it the thing is if he has to go into that bag too often then it becomes okay here we go again you know the, the guys may start rolling their eyes a little bit but i do think the the level of performance despite being fatigued despite everything going on was not acceptable for what we've known to be canucks hockey this year and if you hit a performance that's unacceptable to your standards you have to call it out that that level of it i i do understand um because I mean, look, last night's game, I, I don't need to, to relive it here with you guys, but, you know, even at 2-2, it felt like they were always going to lose that game. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. it was, I'm watching it, I'm just like, who, who is this team that I'm, that I'm watching right now? It didn't feel anything like the, the Canucks we've seen for, you know, 95% of this season. You can count and, and remember on one hand the bad and really ugly performances that they've had. Uh, it, it, it did remind me a little bit of um, the one in, in Philadelphia where they started the season so well and then they go to Philly and it was just like, look, <laughs> what just happened? Uh, that was that was pretty ugly and that was very early in the season and Tockett went in on them after that one too. So I get it. Like this is a team that you don't well that that hasn't shown enough to earn such a huge long leash at the same time. I just I I wonder if you lose a team if you go in on them a little too hard on such a on one really ugly performance. That's that's the thing I wonder about. I don't think that's going to happen here, but you only have that card to play so often. Yeah, and it also shows you where the stakes are, though, right? Like, if you if you have a sense that the slip can happen, you're you trying to get ahead of it because you've lost three in a row already, right? Yeah. And I think there, I think there's a level of that going on here too. It's like, yeah, maybe it's a bit too much than what we're doing, but in terms of us getting snapped back to reality and being able to take on Boston with real fire and brimstone and get ourselves out of this now that the schedule eases up in terms of uh, games truncated in a short amount of time. This might be the wake-up call. So, I mean, I, I'm, I understand what you're saying. I have zero concerns at this stage because I, I just thought that the performance was, was unacceptable enough. Like, I, I can understand it's, it's somewhat – like, I thought the Boston game, for instance, Dan, if he went off on the Boston game, my takeaway after the Boston game was, yeah, I don't think they played great, but they had I didn't find moments. Boston being dominant, yeah. right? Like, I, you know, I mentioned the first period. It's like they had some chances. Boston played very clean. It was a very low-event hockey game, but it wasn't like the Canucks were being hemmed in shift after shift. It was it was a pretty even five-on-five -five game, and the Canucks just kind of had some lapses, and the next thing you know, you're down. I mean, we went over the four goals, and three of them were not flukes, but mistakes the Canucks made to them themselves right so it's like one goal really which was a seeing eye shot that went through and the rest were like like really bad breakdowns and mistakes the Canucks made to them did to themselves right if you went off on that game I'd be like oh okay uh, maybe he's being overly nervous but you, you just can't you can't accept the performance like you had against Seattle like that was like last year's hockey team yeah they were down by two goals in the third and they may have been, may as well have been down 12 <laughs> like they, they had no 
I, I mean, no I can't dispute it. In. Yeah. yeah, last night, last night was was really bad. We'll see how they respond tomorrow. They've got the Bruins in town. Canucks had an optional skate today. I think they had thirteen skaters. Uh, Casey DeSmith uh, also skated um, at the optional at UBC today. So didn't really get a good look at if there's any lineup changes coming tomorrow. Phil DiGiuseppe did take the skate as well, so it looks like uh, he'll be ready to go tomorrow after taking a personal day yesterday ahead of the game with Seattle. Uh, Bruins of points in four straight, 2-0-2, all four games in overtime or a shootout, and this will be their third game in four nights, fourth in six nights as well for Boston as well, uh, on the road too. This is uh, the third game of their Western Canada road swing. They won in a Edmonton, lost in Calgary, and will be here in Vancouver tomorrow night. Expected starters are Demko and Jeremy Swayman. And we'll also see what happens with the Canucks power play. But we'll get into a lot of this and more as the mailbag is coming up. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. You're listening to Canucks Central. Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. We welcome in our next guest. He is our Friday analyst. This analyst is brought to you by the Magnuson Auto Group, Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. As we are now joined by Yannick Hansen on the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline. Thanks for this, Yannick. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Uh, we're we're doing pretty well. Um, so the the discussion we had off the off the top of today's show, well, uh, amongst a few things, we'll get to Elias Pettersson in a second. Was I, I was a little bit surprised that that uh, Rick Tockett went as in on his team as he did after last night's loss to the Seattle Kraken. How about you? Uh, it's been a while since he pushed that button or pushing those buttons. He did it early too. Was it game two or three? Uh, I think it yeah, was against Philly, Philly or something like that. Yeah, and we were started. We we're worried about he's got to do this already. Did they need it? There's no question about that. Um, yeah, it's it's four games. Uh, it's not the end of the world, and uh, they're still sitting tight uh, in a good spot. Uh, they're going home now. Yada yada yada. All these things you can uh, look at the bright side, but but again, it's kind of the way they're losing. Um, one of the things that kind of like the. the the picture paints a, a thousand words, if you will. The second goal, if you look from the overhead view, there's one Seattle player and, and there's four Canucks players, not even counting Demko, and he still managed to get two shots off. There, there's something wrong with your execution, uh, with your battle level, with your intensity when th- when that stuff happens, and it's just it's it's black and white. Um, we aren't engaged. We aren't prepared. We aren't ready. Um, so, so like, get them out of that as fast as you as you can. It's one thing if you lose to to bad bounces or a mm-hmm. ton of penalties against or whatever you will. But, but like, when you start losing um, because of your effort level, uh, attention to details, that you want to get out of very fast because that can uh, that can turn that snowball into uh, when it starts rolling down the hill. 
and that's kind of what I was kind of looking at with the game because the previous three against Winnipeg, against Minnesota, and against Colorado, and there's certain certainly areas of their game they could do play better in. But they played well five on five. They battled in those games. It was kind of like, hey, sometimes it just doesn't go your way for a large portion of it. But when you follow up three good performances and you end up losing, and the fourth one's a dud. That's kind of the concern, isn't it? That, okay, maybe we could get away with those ones. Now we're worried about slipping entirely out of form. Yeah, because Winnipeg, they lost especially team battle. Like, yeah. I love the Winnipeg game. It was fast. It was physical, mm-hmm. a little bit violent. Like, it was a great game. It was playoff hockey. They scored two power play goals. You don't. That's the end of the game. That, that's how games get decided. But that part, we can kind of tweak it with, and let's get the power play going. Hopefully the penalty kill will, will come back around at some point. But but that I can kind of work with. Same thing in, in mini. You give up three or four or five on threes and stuff happens. You still find a way to score seven goals. You have a chance to win it. They score empty netters. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, you're not going to see a lot of those games. And then again, you go into Colorado. And that's a tough place to play in a back-to-back. Uh, and you still, you'd like to see them winning. But, but they played a half-decent game. But now comes... What were you saying, a dud? And now we're worried because four game, three game losing streak. Yeah, that, that's not good. Um, but we don't want this turning into five, six, and seven. And then that's the fear now, especially when you're starting questioning your, your effort and your preparing and, and stuff like this, because then it can go really fast. And then we're just not losing because all, uh, especially the team weren't clicking tonight. No, no, now we're losing because we're, we're not showing up. You know, there was a there was a quote from Myers sort of sort of on this where he's like, you know, earlier in the season we're getting all the bounces, we're winning a bunch of games, we feel good about everything. It feels like there's nothing we can do, like we can do no wrong on the ice. And lately, these last couple of games, it's it's kind of gone the complete opposite way. Like just just how quickly can a team lose that sort of confidence and when it gets tested, that invisibility that I guess is uh, getting tested for the Canucks right now. Yeah, that's why you're trying to hold on to, to momentum dearly when you have it uh, because you know how vital it is and why, how good it is to play with it. Uh, and when you don't, you're trying to claw it back. Um, so, so, again, you've got to find it. Um, and, and, again, it, it's easier said than done, but, but you work hard, good things will happen for you and to you. It, it's that simple. Um, you go out and, and I say to myself, I, I will beat Shaw to that puck and – Big won't get any pucks tonight, and, and then I will do it. Then then I will be, be better for it. Um, but if you go out and you're like, ah, oh, okay, maybe maybe next puck, then it starts rolling and it gets a lot a lot harder to to do. So like that that's where like uh, the preparation and and the compete level can it can never be questioned um, because you can't play in this league without it. Um, all the other things, the bounces, uh, is the power play clicking. Uh, that that's more so chances or execution uh, at the finer points in the game. But the other stuff that that's, that's from when I take my nap in the afternoon and I show up and I have my bagel and, and then I start my warm up and, and now the games are coming and now I'm actually ready to play. Um, and that's why I, I'm assuming he, he's pressing that button right now because he's seeing some of those things creeping into the game and those are harder to correct than a faulting power play or PK that aren't uh, aren't getting the job done. So on the quote that Reach mentioned, and, and is it unfair of me to look at it? And sometimes, you know, Myers, when he's going well, he's confident, he's playing well. When, it, when things kind of fall apart, it really falls apart. And he mentions when you're winning, you know, like Reach mentioned, hey, everything's going your way. When you're losing, you feel like you can't get out of it. Does it also kind of show 
his mindset at times where he does go up and down too easily and how you need your leadership group to be able to be more even keeled through those moments? Yeah, like again, it's a young leadership group or young is. I mean, JT is not young and I'm just counting him in there still. But but Petey and Quinn haven't been through a whole lot other than than bad stuff, the negative stuff, losing. Um, they, they haven't been on teams like this. Yeah, we keep going back to the bubble, but the bubble was, I don't know, I wouldn't count it for, for much because of how it was played. No fans. Uh, it, it's a different game when, when you're feeling that building tilting on you. So, again, you have no experience to draw from there. Um, and, again, you, you have some injuries right now. Um, and we've seen it, and I, and I don't know why it is, but every time Susie is out of the lineup, like the penalty kill kind of falters a little bit, and we're starting moving Sidorov and Tyler Myers into too many minutes, uh, maybe a little bit over their heads where they get exposed a little bit, and now the whole thing kind of starts to crumble a little bit. So it's like um, you're still very vulnerable to, to those injuries, especially on those spots, Um and you hope that they'd find a way to shore that up, but but it still keeps coming back to some in, individual mistakes here and there that turns into goals, bad decision with pucks, uh, things that your system can't uh, can't protect you from. No, if if players make mistakes, you hope there's somebody there to clean up for them, uh, but but right now there aren't. So. The power play is one for its last 28. They have just three power play goals since uh, since the All-Star break and looks to be getting worse rather than, than better. Is it uh, just a lack of confidence right now, Yannick? I don't know because uh, you look at the guys that are out there and you're just like, they should be able to score. Yeah. Uh, they have everything, everything you could want. Uh they have passers, they have shooters, they have guys that can beat one-on-one, they have face-off guys. Like, like there, there's nothing that should prevent these guys from, from scoring. Uh, and you just look at history. So it's not like this group haven't been able to score because they have. So it's like, why is it not happening right now? Uh, are we becoming too stationary? Is there not enough rotation? Are we becoming predictable? Uh, all of these little things... Um, uh, I'm not sure because you're, you're still seeing the things, the plays, the shots, but, but it, like their shooting percentage, we've been, we've been touching on this a little bit, was very high for a lot of the guys. The shooting percentage is higher. Sometimes maybe shot goes in that shouldn't have, so I don't know. Maybe they've been looking better than they have, but it's like I still look at that group, Petey, uh, JT, Quinn, and, and Brock, and now Lindholm. Like they, they should be able to score. It, it, it shouldn't be... It should not be one for twenty-eight. You know, one of the the things about it, like they their their entries have been awful lately, and it just seems like uh, everybody knows exactly what they're going to do on the entries, and they just can't seem to get them away cleanly. Is uh, it, it, do they need to switch some things up there? Like I know the drop pass, everybody does the drop pass through the neutral zone, but it just seems like they they can't get clean entries on the power play to get set up again once there's a clear. Yeah, and that's one of those things they've actually been good at in the past, their entries, because I, I do feel like they have so many options. And I think Quinn Hughes is one of the best players at this, um, at drawing that first four-checker in. And his drop pass is not until the red line, which is almost impossible. As, as a penalty killer, you want that drop pass before the blue line, preferably, because then you have time to readjust. But he's so good at drawing them in and not doing it till 
like I said, the red line's so high that they're standing still. Um, and they do have a couple other options where he takes it himself or he bank, banks it to JT. So it's it's not like they're that predictable. It's not like when I'm watching Quinn Hughes carry the puck up, I was like, this is what's going to happen. No, I, I have an idea of what they might do, but, but they still have variations that they're doing and can do um, that you have to be aware of as well. So, um, like I said, I, I'm, I'm mystified as well. And I'm, uh, hoping that they can turn this around in, in short order here. Um, you guys asked me last week if I was worried about it. I said no, um, but but now it's it's starting to creep in and we're starting to lose games uh, because of it with it uh, as well. So so now you're now you'd like to see a solution uh, sooner rather than later. And it's one of those things that you can look at the talent and say, well, they have enough talent. They should be fine. But we've seen this before with talented, five talented players on a power play. And for some reason, you can't figure it out. Look at the like the Pittsburgh Penguins. Their power play. They have Crosby. They have Malkin. They had Gensel before he got hurt. You had uh, Latang and Eric Carlson. One of the worst power plays in the league. If they miss the playoffs, the main reason they're going to miss it is because of the power play. So sometimes if things kind of don't go your way, how easy is it? Or, you know, if it gets to that point, even if you have talent where it gets in the guy's heads. Yeah, because you, you, you're going to start uh, pulling some pretty big uh, cards here, which is taking guys off the power play, and that can really mess with their confidence. Uh, I, I hope it doesn't mess with their attitude, but, but it can happen if you take guys off that feel like they should be PP1, and now we're not all of a sudden a little bit of pouting, a little bit of not happy with it. Um, are you going to spread the wealth, as you will, and, and go with two units to share the ice and... Uh, gets equal minutes and all these things. Uh, I, I've seen it as well, um, but but you tend to go back to the well, uh, and the well right here is those guys. They eat up a lot of minutes, and and they have gotten it done. Uh, so so again, I I would I would be hesitant to split them up too much, um, and, and hope that they're mature enough that they will figure it out themselves um, with a little bit of help, and, and then get it righted. So the speculation around Elias Pettersson continues, and uh, it's filtered into a, a really um, well. The fan base, a, a section of the fan base, has started to turn on him a little bit, Yannick, where they're criticizing every play that he misses when he doesn't score in a game. If he doesn't have any points against Colorado, it's oh, Pettersson can't play against the big teams. He he only beats up on on the bad teams, and that's where he gets all his points from. It's it's a little bit irrational to be quite honest about it, but. I guess that's that's par for the course a little bit when you're a star player and in, in, the, in the situation that he's in. I mean, the fans are, are judging him on a contract he has yet to sign yet. Yeah, you got to perform, uh, and he has to perform. There's no question about that. Uh, and the bigger that number becomes, the the more expectations are there of you. Uh, and that's just the way the game is. And you're playing in a Canadian market, so it's it's magnetized or magnified a little bit. Um, so again, he's he's gonna have to deal with this if if this is where he wants to play the rest of his career for the next uh, decade, if you will. Because um, again, you you sign that deal, uh, you're the face, um, you're the reason uh, we win or lose uh, a lot of the nights, uh, even though it's not your fault entirely. But but that's where it's gonna fall. It's it will always fall on a not even a handful of guys. It, it will fall on a couple, maybe three guys. Um, the losses and, and the wins is uh, is because of the team. Um, I've seen it for for a long time here, uh, 
and the good leaders, the good players that uh, know how to deal with it and can deal with it, uh, are, are the one that succeeds. Uh, and it's maybe not because they're that much better than than other players, but but again, other players have had a harder time dealing with uh, with that scrutiny. Yeah, I think the scrutiny part of it is what in a market like this can really take off and once it kind of gets a life of its own it doesn't matter and I think the reality for a lot of this group and a lot of these players and you're right like the bubble we saw that wasn't a real playoff so until we see the postseason version of this group of players do we really know what they're all about no that that's the thing and, and again I, I I wouldn't go that far and judge them that hard because like I said these are good players yeah they have not been in a in a playoff fight if you will um, but but again, you're hoping that it's a mature enough group. There's enough guys here who've been around the league, who's played a playoff round here and there that can kind of show them, tell them. And I mean, everybody watches TV as well. You watch the first round; it's best the best two weeks of the hockey season there is. And it's for the same as the players who you glued to the screen because the hockey is is so so intense, so so uh, riveting, if you will. You're, you're watching the the intensity and the hitting, the crispness in the passing, everybody's doing everything and, and above. And like you, you watch this and you want to be a part of it. And you also know when you step into that, like you, you got to raise your, your level, your level a little bit. So, so again, eh, I wouldn't go as far as expecting them to like, Oh, they, they need to, they need to see a playoff before we kind of know, no, these are good players. Yeah. They need to get into the playoff. They need to have some success. Um, but but again, I wouldn't write them off just because we haven't been in there. We're uh, two weeks out from the trade deadline, Yannick. Is there anything you think the Canucks could still add before we get there? We still need a top six winger. Yeah. Uh, I'd say probably more now. I think it was last week we talked. I don't know if you guys are big. And he asked me, well, what happens if they go one and five here the next six games? Uh, and I told him the uh, same thing I tell you guys. Like, they're how they, they performed these last handful of games should not affect um, where you're looking at this team is at. So you're still looking at a team that is first in the league, that has an opportunity to get a wildcard team in your first round. Uh, avoid that Vegas-Edmonton first round uh, if you can. So so add to this group. They, they, they're not playing right now very good, but, but they've earned that. Um, and I still think that... Uh, top six spot that we're talking about those two spots are still there because we don't have Kuzmenko as a as a maybe anymore uh, Herglander has filled in here and there um, but counting on him for 24 games hopefully in the playoffs I wouldn't do that I'd, I'd like a legitimate top six winger um, and again I'm I hate to say this but I'm, I'm willing to pay for him uh, because I do think these guys they sit in a good spot um, they, they have a team, they have all the things you want in a playoff series, have a number one goalie that can steal your game, you have a number one defenseman who can play 35 minutes a night, you have two phenomenal centers, let's give these guys, let's give them everything they need in order to see if you can push this. As far as the defense goes, are you comfortable with the way the defense is? No, I, I'd like some uh, some security backup, but again, I, I if we're talking specific here, let, let's say you, you're looking at a, a Chris Tanev or a Noah Hannafin. I know this is a pipe dream. Or a Jake Gensel kind of player. I'd take the Jake Gensel right now and then take a 6-7 a defenseman on the cheaper end because I can't afford both. 
because I, I do think that the, this forward group is, is still too thin. You have four top six forwards right now, legitimate, um, and you're hoping two other players will fill that void, whether it's McKayev, whether it's Herglander, um, and, and I don't want to I don't want to count on these for seven game series against Vegas or Edmonton. No, I'd, I'd like to only one of these guys that, that kind of have to do it. Um, and, and then, like I said, yeah, I'm giving up some on the defensive side here. Hopefully, I'm, I'm hopeful here that Susie will come back to health before the, the, the playoff because he seems to have a bigger impact than I think we give him credit for what he provides, what he does. He, he's missed a lot of games, and the games he's missed, is that, that's when we're talking like this kind of thing. Yannick, we uh, appreciate the time and the insights as always. Thanks for this. Have a great weekend. Yeah, take care. Uh, there is Yannick Hansen joining us on the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline. The first call, the only call. Uh, it seems like Yannick is always a little bit of the voice of reason when it comes to our, our weekly hits. And, you know, we discussed Rick Tockett going in on the team uh, off the top of the show here today, Sat, and you get the players' perspective there. Uh, felt like uh, they, they earned it a little bit. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I do think that. And <laughs> I got ratioed, and now the player analysis, like I, I just, I, I can't stick to that take that I had earlier on in the show. It's uh, it, now you got to change. I'm just, change. I'm wearing an L on my forehead. <laughs> Listen, uh, the key in life is is recognizing <laughs> the errors of your ways and then rectifying them and moving forward. Like, that's there's it. nothing wrong with moving forward. You know, that's why I, I see people being like, well, like be like hey you're flip-flopping your opinion it's like well should i not change my opinion if more information comes in that proves that i may have been wrong like is, is it not you know isn't that the smart thing to do to change your opinion when more information comes in that is showing you a better path to an opinion yeah right and and one of the things that that was interesting about it uh there, there was a brief moment where talk it was sort of talking about their their preparation and we got to change something. If some guys got to change some things off ice, so he, he kind of hinted at um, their preparation or some of the things that they maybe have been doing earlier in the season are slipping a little bit. I, maybe I'm reading too much into that, but Yannick sort of sensed the same thing, and and that's when when you get to that point, and you're a coach. That, that's I think that's one of the things that's probably more on Tockett's mind when he's going in on the team last night than it is just the the single solitary performance. Absolutely. And it's about, you know, how do we prevent this from turning into something more than it is? And he, he mentioned, too, remember during their stretch when they were winning, he's like, yeah, there were some games here. I don't really like how we played. We, mm -hmm. we, we've been winning, but I haven't really liked our game. He mentioned about Pedersen's game, too. I haven't liked his game. Mm -hmm. And they were still winning. And it's like, okay, well, you're playing. You're winning, getting away with it, and I'm not going to be upset about it too much. Hey, you lost a few games. You actually played fairly well. But now you're losing and you're playing really poorly. It's like I can see how the alarm bells kind of go off and say, okay, we haven't been on top of where we need to be, and this they have to know this is unacceptable now. And that's what makes this game on Saturday so interesting and this next stretch here. Are they going to come out with fire and brimstone? And not necessarily like, listen, I'm not saying you have to win the game against the Bruins. I think you can play a really good game and lose, and you can come away and say, okay, at least you're getting closer to where you need to be again. But that's really what I want to see now. Like, if, if they don't have that juice on Saturday and they don't continue it the rest of this month into, into you know, um, into March, then I'll have some concerns. They've got Boston, Pittsburgh, L.A. coming up. Um, then they're going to do a short California trip, play Anaheim, Los Angeles, then head out to Vegas to close out a three-game road trip. After that, 
they've got the nine-game homestand. So the schedule is spaced out. They have no more back-to-backs. Fatigue is no longer uh, an excuse that can be used or even a reason that you can point to for the Canucks game slipping a little bit. You know, this is uh, this is a really important stretch now for the team, and the level of competition is a lot more difficult from now till the end of the season than it was for the majority of these first 50-some-odd games. So now it's, it is it is a little bit more crunch time for this team. So, mm-hmm. you know, getting back to their staples and what we expect of them for what we've seen out of, you know, the majority of the 59 games that they've played so far rather than what we've seen maybe out of the last four and certainly last night, you know, that, that's more of what you want to see. Uh, it, it's always process over results. And I think this coaching staff has yes. sort of been about that ever since they got here. Rick Tockett really alluded to that even in his first days, first weeks as, as a Vancouver Canucks head coach. And they've really gotten away from their process and more so last night than than in prior games, but since the All-Star break, since bringing in Lindholm, it feels as though the team hasn't been as consistent in their process as they were earlier. No, I agree with that. Uh, and I think when you're not at that level and you know what that level looks like, and honestly, like we're, we're getting into the stretch drive here, guys. Like they're, You know how we talked about here? They're, they're 23 the, games left. They're into the final quarter of the season very soon. You know, yeah. they were at the one-third. They were at the uh, you're two-thirds of the season in and one-third of the season left. You're at the one-quarter mark. And before you know it, like, it's going to be ten games left, five games left, and the postseason is going to be here. It's going to come so fast, everybody. Like, So I, I don't think you have a lot of time to dilly-dally here. You have to kind of get these guys back on track. And you're still trying to int- in, uh, to fit in a new player in Elias Lindholm and get him up to speed too. Like you can't really even waste many games here. It's uh it's not um it's not time to push the panic button yet, but certainly uh there is maybe a caution flag coming up on on how the Canucks uh, yeah. are playing uh, during this four game losing streak and really after last night. Uh, Absolutely. Uh all right. Oh. Yeah, One thing ahead. here before we get out, we have this text here that says, "Can you guys give a shout out to uh, Kate Patterson on air for all the idiots who are trolling her recently?" And, and, and for those who kind of saw the tweets, the, the, all I'd say is, "Idiots are idiots," and yeah. we see a lot of them, and it's pathetic, it's unacceptable. However, the work that Kate Patterson has done, and I think the Canucks have done in terms of having more content this year, has been invaluable. Like for for a media market that is shrinking, despite the fact that it's being one of the biggest markets in the country still. You see on the road, there aren't a lot of people that get on the road anymore for media, right? You don't have a lot of people asking questions, being able to provide content. And it's actually been invaluable getting that content from the team. And, and she's been a big part of it. So I'd say to answer that question, um, there's integral good work being done. And Hal texted that in. Uh, working a lot as well. She's put in a lot of work this season, a lot of features that uh, have gone into uh, Kate's work and you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I can never really understand some of the takes uh, on Twitter and, and the people behind those keyboard warriors. Sometimes I just wonder if it's like a, a schoolyard bully that never quite grew up mm-hmm. and are still in that mindset that they get to bully whoever they want. Um, and they do it anonymously, which is about as cowardly as you could be as a human being, in my opinion. Uh, if that sounds harsh, well, uh, so be it, because... Yeah. Not a fan of the way uh, some of these situations have been happening on Twitter lately. Agreed. Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. Coming up, more Canuck Central.
It is Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Final segment of the program. Kintec, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by thousands of five-plus Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Uh, we like to do a little bit of uh, mailbag overflow here. So some questions that we did not yet get to in uh, the earlier mailbag segment of the show. JL, is Vegas pulling some kind of cap circumvention <laughs> shenanigans again? Uh, I mean, I, I think we would all think so. But yes. a ruptured spleen is a ruptured spleen. So, I mean, is, is, is he even going to be ready for the playoffs? Like ruptured, ruptured spleens, you know, I'm not uh, a doctor, but I saw it's like three to six months. Yeah, like three Mar- months from now is like you know, well into the postseason. Yeah, that's like second round. Uh, yeah. maybe halfway through the second round territory if you're uh if you're Mark Stone. So yeah, it's uh I, I don't know about that. You know, when when Stone's injury first came out, you know, I sort of wondered, uh, oh, is Vegas doing this again? And uh I know I saw everybody else making the jokes because look, Mark Stone, I, I know we've talked about this before, Sad he's Got a legitimate back injury that he could like pull himself out of the lineup almost at any point, and it would be somewhat warranted, right? But uh, now we had to find out that uh, he has a lacerated spleen. I don't think it's um, coincidence that it came out exactly what the injury was for Mark Stone either, because there's yeah. just been so many questions about Vegas the last number of years and how they've handled these types of things. And as we know including your Vancouver Canucks, it's very hard to get actual news on what body part is actually injured on an NHL player these days. Yeah, and I wish there was more transparency in the National Hockey mm-hmm. League, but we know that's not going to be a thing, at least not for the time being. And you're right. I think it's a pretty serious situation when it's a spleen, too, so I think they came out pretty quickly. And I think we all thought, oh, here they are with their shenanigans again. I would say, too, though, like Mark Stone has has a really bad back situation yeah, yeah. where – he has to manage it every year too. Like, there's no solution to it, and sometimes it's fine, sometimes it isn't. So it's within the realm of possibility that he needs to take some time off sometimes and do it before the playoffs, and then gear it back up again. That that's part of his issues with with his back, but it gives obviously Vegas an advantage to do that. But it's clear that that's not the ongoing situation, and I think that uh, they would rather have Mark Stone be healthy than have the money to go and try to replace him for a round or two in the playoffs. Uh, a couple of more texts like this one. Uh, thanks for the show as always. Enjoy it. Appreciate that. Got to say, I'm enjoying playing meaningful games right now. Loving all the drama, good and bad. Have a great weekend. <laughs> I love that text. <laughs> I love Just it. a positive outlook on life. Love the drama, the good and the bad of it all. Uh, that's, you know, that's part of being a fan, uh, riding up and down the roller coaster sometimes. And there are a lot of good things this year. Like for all the ups and downs right now, and and kind of the the consternation a lot of people are going through with them losing four in a row. It honestly, it's a minor thing. And yes, if this continues and it turns out to be a bigger thing, maybe we'll have a bigger concern about it. But there's been so much positive that you kind of take this in stride. What's going on right now, for the most part, and you have to expect there will be some ups and downs. And I think that's the right perspective to have. It's it's exciting. And the drama, well, maybe it teaches, a, teaches us a thing or two about the team and perhaps helps them grow a little bit. And we talked so much during parts of the season when they hadn't lost more than two in a row. What's going to happen when they face adversity? What if they face adversity for the first, first time in the postseason? Well, it's not going to be the case, right? They're facing some adversity now. Maybe that's a good thing ahead of the playoffs. 
Uh, so I got a text. Somebody would like us to answer the viral sports question that's going around on X today, Sat. Oh, what's that? Besides Jeremy Lin, name another athlete from any sport who went on a Lin Sanity run. So I, I saw this, right? Yeah. And for hockey, the guy I kept going back to was Jonathan Chichu. Jonathan Chichu. You know, he scored 56 goals, 37 yeah. goals in, in two years. Like, he had a, he, he went four years, well, 28, 56, 37, 23, and then, like, disappeared from the face of the earth. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, that was just it. Um, man, Lynn Sanity was something else. Yeah, I mean, the Lynn Sandy thing was also, you know, the hype, the media thing. Like, yeah. um, you know, I, I'm looking at it strictly from a player performance standpoint where it's like, oh, my God, this guy might be something. He has a couple of big years, and then it's like, okay. But Jeremy Lin was also, like, never, like, that good. He was good that during that run, wasn't he? Yeah, he was good, but he wasn't, like, you know, franchise player level. Yeah. You know, like, he was good. He was really good. It was positive. It, it was a lot of, you know, culturally, it was a really important story. He came out of nowhere and played really well. It, it was a great story, no doubt, especially when he was playing for the, um, you know, New York Knicks for a while, too. And then he goes to the Houston Rockets. And, you know, he, he played a couple bigger markets and stuff like that, right? It was with the Knicks where he really started taking off. He had that big year, right? And after that, it, it kind of went off. But, like, he was never, like, a high-end player. Like, the most points he ever averaged in a season when he played, you know, at least – you know, 36 games or more was 14 and a half points. Yeah. And like six assists. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. That run was uh, crazy. I can't believe that was 2012. It's crazy. I was with the Knicks in 2012. My goodness. I feel old. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if you're looking say- for a flash, I still say Chichu was like, you know, the flashiest player that came and went. I kind of want to like, maybe it's recency bias, but Andre Kuzmenko had like, some some Lin sanity to him last year, did he not? Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Out that's of nowhere true. with thirty nine goals and well, not completely out of nowhere, but you know we knew he was talented, but nobody expected him to score nearly forty goals in his first NHL season, and yeah. it was just gone in a flash. It was just like, really ah, <laughs> what what happened? Oh man! So so the the um, the funny thing too is so the Lin sanity run. So how many games do you think it was when Lin sanity had his run where he was like. You know, he's scoring, you know, 20, 30 points oh, and man. going off. Because it was like a mid-season trade, and then he just, like, went crazy, right? It was his year with the Knicks before yeah. it went to the uh, Rockets. Yeah. Um, was it, like, 32 games? Bro, not even. It was uh, <laughs> 10 games. 10 games, he started 9, and he averaged 24.6 points over those 10 games, and he started 9 of them. No way it was 10 games. I'm, dude, I'm not, like, so 25, 28, 23, 38, 20, 27, 10, 26, 28, 21. And then it was, like, 17, 8, 19, 19, 14, 14, 20. So from then it goes down. Like, those were the games. Those are the 10 games where he was going off. It was 10 games. Yeah. 10. That's it. Yes, yeah, they, they were also 9-1 and one during those 10 games. Yes. And they he were. had, like, three game winners. <laughs> yeah. That's why it was 100%. crazy. I know, but it's like a 10-game stretch. It wasn't even like a year. It wasn't even like two years. It was 10 games. Is that is that what made you a Knicks fan, uh, Elon? No. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a crazy run. It was, it was, it was pretty Yeah, Lynn Sanity, it's not a year run. you got to think more, like, less. Like, 10 games, 15 games, 20 games. Yeah. I kind of think of, like, a Nick Foles maybe in the playoffs. Oh, that's good. That's good. Something yeah, like that. That's a pretty good run, Nick Foles. Ooh. Right? Because oh. he just disappeared right after. He totally disappeared. Yeah, Gil on Twitter, at problem underscore solver. Uh, great one. Jim Carrey, goaltender. Oh, he yes. had like a great run. The rookie season, and that's it. 
What a name, Jim Carrey. Yeah. Like you're you're always going to be the second most known Jim Jim Carrey, even though you uh, nearly won a Consmith. Well, did he win the Consmith? No, he didn't win the Consmith. He won a Vesna Trophy. He won a Vesna Trophy. It's insane. The guy won a Vesna Trophy. Yeah. And and that was it. It's kind of like uh, <laughs> he had the one year. That's yeah. it. Jeremy Lin's kind of like a golfer, just like going after an ama- like uh, a no namer winning a major championship. Like uh, when Ben Curtis won the PGA Championship oh, or something like yeah, that, or, yeah, the, yeah. or the British Open. Oh, what like, was it? Who Danny is this Y.E. Yang when he was the first guy to beat Tiger Woods on right. Sunday in a major? <laughs> it's like, what happened to Y.E. Yang after that? Nobody knows. Wasn't it Danny Willett who won? Like Danny Willett won the Masters out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. Jordan Spieth crumbled down the stretch <laughs> at Augusta. Oh, <laughs> uh, come on, Jordan. <laughs> come on. That's good. I don't know why golfers do that. Whenever there's a bad shot, you just yell at yourself in the third person. I think it, it really fits in with the, <laughs> to be honest. I think it says everything you need to know right there. And I like golf, but it tells you everything you need to know about golf. <laughs> uh, Dex, Dex shouting out Andrew Hammond, the, uh, the Hamburglar. Yeah, he had a good run. Uh, Patrick Laleem was another good one. But if you want to talk about a Laleem run. Laleem had Bo- like a decent career, though, didn't he? He did, he did. He just yeah, stunk he in the playoffs. Up. If you want to go run, Brian Boucher's shutout streak. Oh, yes. Five in a row. Yeah. Uh, Michael Layton, when he was with Philly in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. They went to the cup final and lost yes. with him, right? Yeah. Michael Layton was starting games in the Stanley Cup final. No wonder Chicago won. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, it's, it was a great question. Uh, so, yes, appreciate that uh, coming in on the uh, Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, the Jeremy Lynn Sanity, uh, if there's a comparison you'd like to share with us, 650-650. <laughs> this is a great one, too. Uh, UC Okanen after the Canucks traded for him to ruin our draft position. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great one. He had, like, what, seven goals in eight games and just went off? Yeah. UC Okanen. Oh, I have to look this up now. He was like an all-time shootout legend. Oh, one of the best shootout players in, in the league. Yeah, historically one of the best shootout uh, guys. 14 games with the Canucks, four goals, six assists, ten points. Was a plus <laughs> seven bad. in that time. <laughs> four That's even insane. strength goals. Guy came out of nowhere in 2018. But it, but it worked out because the Canucks picked seventh overall that year and they got Quinn Hughes. Yes. So. Uh, they probably would have taken Quinn higher. If they would have had like the fifth or fourth pick, they still would have taken Quinn. So it yeah. worked out completely fine. Uh, I'm pretty sure they, they had Quinn pretty high on their board that year, no matter what. I think they had him third. I, I think they had um, Darlene number one, obviously. Yeah. And then it was, I think it was Brady Kachuk two. I'm not even sure Svechnikov was two. If I, have to, like, I can't say this with, with 100% certainty, but based on the things I can piece together, I yeah. would say it was, it was Deline first, uh, Brady Kachuk two on the Canucks list, and then Quinn Hughes. That makes sense. Um, so tomorrow, uh, Blue Jays' first game of uh, spring training. You can watch it on Sportsnet. It's a uh, 10 a.m. start Pacific time. Vlad Guerrero, the Linsanity run two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Just kidding. Remember when Vladdy Guerrero finally like made it during that COVID season, and then he's uh, yes. not done much since. No. How did he get on the cover of a video game after the season he had last year? He was Probably, awful. But you know, yes, yeah, by his standards, he was. But it wasn't like he was that bad, to be honest. So, so a popularity contest. Yeah, I guess so. I but mean, how is the guy on the Blue Jays all that popular? Is this because because of his dad? But the Jays are and popular the, in baseball. And, and he won the. Uh, he won the home run derby? 
Because yeah. it's like not just the Canadian version of MLB The Show. It's like he's the cover guy everywhere. Yeah. I mean, his year wasn't that bad. He had 26 home runs, 94 RBIs, 788 OPS. Like, it wasn't, you know, all-star level or great, but, you know, if that's a bad year for him. His career OPS is 931, and last year it was at 788. That's not good enough. Not for him. It's not good enough, but it wasn't like he was horrible. No, I'm looking at his dad's page. My bad. (laughs) I'm like, no way his OPS is 931 for his career. 844 is is the actual number. Well, it's down because of the year he had last year, but yes. <laughs> yes. He is uh, he's entering his age 25 season, so it's uh, time to buck up for Vladdy Guerrero Jr. And he's only got two years like, left as a Blue Jay. Right, but I think that's the issue. I think it's more about uh, the existential problem with him with the Blue Jays and that time might be running out. Is he versus... the Elias Pettersson of the Blue Jays? <laughs> In some ways, perhaps, <laughs> right? But it's also like he's 25, and in baseball, like how often do players come up and, and bat when they're 19? Like He's been around forever, it feels like, and... You know, he's he's only 25. Like, a lot of guys don't even make it to the majors until they're 25, 26. Yeah. Josh Donaldson was the best best example of that, right? He was like 26, 27 when he yeah. broke out. Yeah. Um, he's been around forever. You know, most yeah. guys don't make it in, in their early 20s or mm-hmm. as a teenager to, to Major League Baseball. Um, it's going to be interesting with the, with the Jays this year. Like, Ricky Tiedemann got hurt, and uh, immediately I was like, ah, this guy's another Nate Pearson. He's glass. I am such an irrational fan when it comes to the Blue Jays. I don't know what it is about it. You're you're like if if they go two and zero, you're like they're going to go 162 and zero. It's just if- like I I am not covering this team, so I get to be as irrational as everybody else is about the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, when, when we talk uh, uh, and and make fun of Canucks Twitter. I hear you though, because that's the, that's the way I am with Chelsea. Yeah, like it's just completely irrational. You know, up and down, completely ridiculous. Like I know I'm not being. Like I, I suspend my rationality when I'm watching soccer. When when I when I'm watching the game, when I get away from it, I try to be rational again. But I'm, when I'm watching a game, like I'm completely unhinged. Yeah, it's uh, and uh, we'll we'll get to see just how see through the pants are tomorrow uh, when the when the Blue Jays play their first game. Okay, okay. So I, I saw some pushback on that, and people were saying that the pants haven't changed from last year. They're the exact same pants. It's a right. lighting that's that's causing it. Do, okay. do you buy that? I. Yes, I guess. Like, I, it's not like I wear white pants all the time, but like, I I know this to be an issue if you wear white pants often. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, they're baseball pants. You have no choice. It's not like they come up and show up like I want to wear white pants to work today. It's like, well, you know, it's it's your gear. You got to wear this, right? But yeah, so, so when I saw that, it made me kind of think, all right, maybe we're jumping the shark here a little yeah. bit. And this is the thing that happens on social media too. Like, fanatics isn't great. We all know this. And as soon as something comes up, we all like pile on right away without getting the facts right. Yeah. That's kind of the 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 the, business, the world we live in now. Is like people love piling on before having all the facts. Yeah. You know, so I kind of felt like, oh, maybe they're not that bad. But hear enough horror stories, and nobody feels sorry for fanatics. <laughs> no, that's there's enough bad stories about fanatics that we don't have to worry too much about it. I will say um, the facts seem to be right with Adam Ruzichka <laughs> and how quickly the, uh, the Arizona Coyotes decided, you know what, uh, we're going to buy you out. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to move out. We're just going to be <laughs> – We're just going mean, to terminate this contract right now. Oh, man. And so my, my big thing with Adam Ruzichka is did he realize what he was doing? And I don't mean the drugs. I mean, did he realize like he was he was posting that to a story that everybody could see? There's no way. Like, like to me, like does it look like he's like it's like he's begging to leave Arizona that badly? Yeah. 
I, I'm just going to go back to just end up in Arizona? Like he was just uh, he was just a waiver claim by the Arizona Coyotes, wasn't he? And yeah, I mean, they got him off the flames, right? Yeah, and now this happens not that long later. It feels like something um, – it feels like he, he wanted to send it to either his close friends on Instagram as a story or – just to like one person specifically and by accident sent it to his entire following and ruined his NHL career. Yeah. It's, I mean, don't do drugs kids. I, well, I don't know yeah. if there's a better example. Number one, don't do drugs. Yes. <laughs> Number two, if you, if you are doing illicit things, don't record yourself. Yeah. Probably, uh, probably good advice. And number, I mean, but but honestly, when I saw it, I felt like I, I felt like my man, like I, I felt bad because I mean, is, is he going through stuff for yeah. him to be doing this? Like you're you're like you know putting your National Hockey League career down the drain. We can make fun of it and, and crap on him all we want, but to me, it's kind of sad. Yeah, you know, like is this something he just did and now hey, a bad decision? Does he have a problem? You yeah. know, and and that's kind of it's it's too bad, man. You talk about a guy who's 24 years old. And already kind of on the verge of not being an NHL player because he was claimed off waivers, right? And now you have this. Like, that's it's a really crappy way to go out if that, if you're not going to get back in the league again. And, and this is the reason why, right? Yeah. Uh, you hope if there if there is an issue there that Adam uh, does enough to find find some help on it. Um, the NFL salary cap today sat announced. Uh, <laughs> There's going to be a $30 million increase on the NFL salary cap, which at times feels very fugazi to begin with because teams have so many different levers that they can pull to, uh, you know, stay in um, accordance with the NFL's salary cap rather than the NHL where it's just like hard and fast, like here's the number, figure it out. Um, You know, we see guys restructure their contracts all the time and those types of things. But a thirty million dollar increase for the NFL salary cap. Yeah, that's like almost forty percent of the NHL salary cap right now, which is <laughs> that, it just shows you like how much money there is in the NFL, right? And it was a bit unexpected that it's that high, but man, the amount of money the NFL prints is ridiculous. And yeah. and I do think we can joke about it, but it also kind of shows you the reason why the NHL salary cap isn't anywhere near is because their revenues are nowhere near where things are at for NFL, right? I do or think, NBA though, or Major League Baseball. Or NBA, but I do think the revenues right now are a lot higher than what the salary cap should be. But the reason why it hasn't gone up as much is because they're still paying back the escrow yeah. owed to them because of the last deal, because of the pandemic. But there's a real chance here that in, in a couple of years, it really starts skyrocketing. And yes, you know, natural disasters, pandemics, and, and perhaps you know, global conflicts aside, and we can't predict how those things are going to happen. But as long as those things don't get into in the way, I mean, the salary cap could have a massive jump in a couple of years. Like, because if you look at the NBA's NHL's overall re- revenue streams, the way it's moving up, it's been pretty exponential the last couple of years. And there's a reason to believe it's going to continue growing quite a bit the next couple of years. Two new teams, two big markets uh, that are loving their squads right now. I don't see why the NHL salary cap shouldn't go up quite a bit. We, we've already heard from yeah. agents like how much they think it's ridiculous that the cap has been flat for as long as it has, but. You hope, and I think for the league, you know, teams having more flexibility in the next couple of years, it'll be a little bit more fun for silly season in the summer, and uh, well, maybe make trades more possible in season as well. So yeah, I mean, NHL revenue for this year is expected to be around six million billion. Yeah, the NBA is about almost ten and a half billion. So last year was six billion ten and a half. So still, you know, significantly more. 
but it's it's getting a lot closer. Like we're talking about when the NHL had a million billion dollars in revenue, they were like celebrating. Now it's going to get to six, seven, eight, nine billion, and when it gets there, the salary cap is going to go up significantly. If I had five dollars for every time Reach says Fugazi per show, well, you'd have five dollars on today's show. That's for sure. <laughs> yes, that's it. That's uh, all you'd have today. Well, I guess two, ten dollars now because I just read your texts. I uh, appreciate you, the listeners. All right, we're going to get back to it tomorrow. A 3 o'clock start on the pregame because the game against the Boston Bruins is a 4 o'clock start for whatever reason. 3 o'clock pregame on Sportsnet 650 and across the Sportsnet radio network. We'll talk to you from Rogers Arena 4. Producers Lena and Elon, my co-host Sat. I'm Dan. You've been listening to Canuck Central.